Brexit means Brexit, and we are going to make a success of it. The Brexit Secretary, Dominic Raab, has resigned. The government, Mr Speaker, is in chaos. We will make Brexit Brexit a success. Please, I beg you, Scotland can be ignored on an issue as important as our membership of the EU and the single market. Then it is clear that our voice and our interests can be ignored at any time and on any issue. Hello National Readers and welcome to the weekly National Politics Podcast. My name is Stephen Payton and joining me around the table to talk about everything that's happened over the last week are National Journalists Kathleen Nutt. Hello. And Christine Patterson. Hi. As always, you can support podcasts like this one by subscribing to The National. Just go to the website, there's a wee subscribe button up at the top left hand corner. And if you do subscribe, it does help us do new digital projects including videos, podcasts and all the rest. Now, let's kick things off. This weekend... There was a wee bit of an event in Edinburgh. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast is probably aware of it. 200,000 people, according to organisers, marched through Edinburgh in support of independence. So I guess the first thing I want to come out to the two of you today is to talk about how significant do you think this march was? I mean, it has been billed as the largest march, political march in Edinburgh since, like, what, 2005? Well, there's there's been a lot of argument over the numbers, a lot of toing and froing, but I, I would I would guess that in the end, the, the actual um, that pinpoint number, that very accurate uh, XYZ number, I don't think that it really matters that much because anyone who looked at those pictures, anyone who was there on the day and, and saw that, that massive crowd walking through the city centre will have felt the scale of it. Um, and as, as, as we covered um, in the Sunday National and in the National, um, it has been a, a year of, of marches, a year of protests. There has been um, a, a continued interest in, um, from people in coming out and demonstrating that support in a very public way. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've not seen trouble as a result. We've not seen um, unrest as a result. We've seen positive atmospheres. We've seen family friendly events um, and I, I don't think that they can in any way be chalked up to anything but a success hmm. What do you think Kathleen? Yeah I think they um, are very good natured from by all accounts um, they're very family friendly, there are lots of children who go along and it seems to be a good day out I do wonder personally whether they have any influence over the crucial undecided voter that would be my only concern do people who are open to maybe independence or maybe who voted no um last time round would they be persuaded i'm not sure if they would be persuaded by an independence march but maybe that's not the point the point is for um to yet for yes supporters to show their support to signal to the rest of the country that um they are very enthusiastic about independence being achieved and they're sending out that signal to Nicola Sturgeon, Boris Johnson and um, other leaders across the world I mean to be honest you'd have to be enthusiastic to have been in that weather on Sunday which I was and it was Mm -hmm. horrific but it was great to march and it was it was an amazing atmosphere and I do see your point Kathleen and that do marches change anyone's mind probably not but it definitely keeps the concept of independence and the independence movement in the news cycle and people talking about it and Mm. showing that support for it is not going anywhere. If anything, it's growing if you want to look at YouGov poll and 
the way that the marches themselves have expanded over time. They've, they've all gotten a little bit longer since they started out what, at the start of the year. I certainly agree with you there, Stephen. And I think it's also interesting that they have been actually quite well covered in the media and actually even the in, the international media as well. So papers in France and Germany will cover these events and see that this is the, the mood, a mood, the mood in Scotland is um, is veering towards independence. Hmm. Great. Well, if you were at the march, uh, do leave us a wee comment down below and let us know what you thought of it uh, and just how wet you were by the end of it to be honest um, but let's move on to probably one of the quite a dividing story this week which is of course the story of Eva Blander the Lord Provost in Glasgow who over the last two and a half years has spent about £8,000 on clothing and accessories and everything else um, to kind of keep up the appearances that are expected of a Lord Provost and obviously this has caused a little bit of controversy because the number seems incredibly high and there's been criticism for it and some of it is certainly rooted in misogyny but on the other hand Glasgow City Council is a council that deals with a lot of poverty within the city is £8,000 really a reasonable amount for anyone to be spending on their own clothes essentially put that one out to the table well certainly um, a very big issue this week I think that it has dominated the front pages of many newspapers and it's probably not the best look for Eva Belander to be spending such a, a large amount of money on clothes at a time of austerity, at a time of increasing poverty. However, I would also say that she has apologised, which is remarkable these days for a politician to apologise. It's not easy for politicians to apologise, and she's um, offered to pay back some of the money. This issue came up at First Minister's questions today, and certainly the First Minister did describe Eva Blander as an excellent Lord Provost and um, she, First Minister also went on to say that it was right that she had reflected on some of her expenses. So I think that does to me suggest that the First Minister has very much supported Eva Blander um, and is wants her to stay on uh, in the position um, against people like Adam Tompkins who have been calling for a resignation. Kirsten, do you not think that from now on, for the SNP and Glasgow City Council as well, is whenever they talk about, for example, frivolous spending or or, or poverty poverty in Glasgow, like for example a few days ago when um, some of those numbers about homelessness in Glasgow came out and it was shocking reading uh, from the Evening Times, is this not just going to keep coming back and biting the SNP in the... <laughs> I don't know how to finish that sentence. Whenever, whenever they whenever could be bitten. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I don't know that there's a straight line between those two issues, but, but I, what, what I would say is I don't know what the equivalent would be. You know, we have the well-trodden Latin phrase, Anis Horribilis, for a terrible year. It's been a, a terrible week so far for Eva Belander and the administration um, at Glasgow City Council. But what I found very interesting um, around the story is the discourse that it has um, prompted. There's there's a lot of people discussing it from a lot of different directions. Um, you mentioned mentioned misogyny. I think there's certainly a, a, a gendered element to this and and one of the things that it has highlighted is, is the fact that so many male commentators and male journalists don't actually know some of the costs that can be associated mm-hmm. with being a woman in the public eye. Um, for instance, the, the £75 haircut, well, you know, that's that's really not an unusual price. It's not the same as going to, you know, get a quick short back and sides at the local barbers. Um, 
as well as that, there's been a reflection across across different local authorities, um, uh, councillors from different local authorities in Scotland saying, well, yes, we have a province as well, our province has an allowance, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's not unusual. There's there's been uh, I've seen people commenting and saying, well, perhaps the the last provost didn't claim from this fund, but certainly provost prior to that who'd been men had claimed and had claimed provision for for their wives as well at the time. Um, at least we're having a conversation about these things. At least we're having a conversation about public allowances, public spending. Um, th- there was something that's related I think uh, recently um, in I think it was the Mail on Sunday it might have been the, the Daily Mail about spending for the First Minister's office she'd she'd uh, updated her office she'd bought uh, textiles and furnishings and there was a breakdown of what had been spent there um, the items that had been bought had been bought from Scottish producers and um, carried a higher price tag than what you would perhaps get from, from Ikea I think one of the issues there is what do we Politics is nothing if it's not about image. And what image do we want to be sending? What face do we want to be putting on for the rest of the world? If we do want to save the public purse that money, well, then maybe we have to shift our own expectations of people. Hmm. And that, like you say, that is one of the arguments um, I think that Nicola Sturgeon brought up to degree as well, um, not only with expectations, Hmm. but also the idea that if there are those expectations then that role itself should not then be limited to people who can only meet it. People who come from lower income backgrounds should still be able to step into the role of being a Lord Provost, hence the allowance. I think my issue personally with it is not that the allowance exists, just that it seems excessive. Like five grand a year, even if you're coming from like no wardrobe, I feel like five grand a year on clothes is a lot. And I would like to see this discussion moving forward not in the sort of <laughs> obviously not in the kind of weird misogynistic way of like oh frivolous women spending things which is obviously complete nonsense but rather mm. more accurately discussing does it need to be as high as that is that really where the money from this council should be going at the moment I, I get I get what you're saying I do get what you're saying but I think that in terms of local authority financing there are so many bigger issues than a province wardrobe allowance um, well I would agree with you there. <laughs> I mean yeah. it's it's definitely it's something to talk about but I'd like to see the conversation expand further let's think about you know um some of the sweeteners that, are, that can be given to um people who who work um at the higher levels of local authorities, you know, your your directors of this and your chiefs of that and, and your, you know, parking pass and this allowance and that allowance. There's a lot of money spent in a lot of areas that I think that taxpayers would have a problem with. So what you're saying is, we need to have a written file look at where all of this money is. What spent. I'm saying is, park the rest of the work that we're doing, let's go do some printing out, dig through everybody's receipts. Let's start reforming councils starting right now. Um... <laughs> Exactly. I mean, yeah, it is. It's it's one. It's the one thing that's hit the headlines this week, but it's by no means. I know, the but only. it's timing as well, isn't it? It's timing, and I think um, you do sometimes hear, and we we do sometimes hear in our work that people are, are sick of Brexit, and I think that recently, actually, Brexit has been so momentous that if you've not been following that story, I'm not really sure what you have been doing. 
but I think that we have had a wee bit of a lull and, and I think this story and also I know we hadn't necessarily planned to talk about this but the Colleen Rooney story uh, again another story about high profile women Wagatha Christie yeah so so that that um, uh, for anyone who hasn't followed it it's uh, Colleen Rooney and, and, and another high profile football wife I don't know if I should use that term I probably shouldn't but I don't know what Rebecca Vardy does or, or who she is anyway a Twitter spat uh, an Instagram spat those stories have come at a time when I I think they've come at the right time for, for people to pick up and look for an alternative to in the news yes I, I, I do agree I think um, in terms of the Eva Blander story it's come up it's a, it's a completely different story it's almost a story that we would have seen a lot in the press in the days before Brexit the days before independence this is what Scottish political journalists did and I suppose one of the reasons why this story has got, I think, so much traction is a little bit of a reprieve from the heavy, weighty issues of Brexit and the Constitution. Yeah, it's been a while since I had a sort of expensive style scandal because we've kind of all been somewhere else with that. And I wish you hadn't quite said we're also sick of Brexit because I'm right about to lead into the section oh, I'm, I'm, about not, Brexit. I'm not sick of Brexit. I can't afford to be sick of Brexit. I don't <laughs> think any of us can, but I think, yeah. Okay, well. Let's move on then to Brexit. Um, we'll keep it short, though, for the benefit of our listeners. Um, an extension. I mean, here we are. What is it like? What day is it? 21 days 21 to days the next deadline to, to when we're deadline. about to leave the to EU. When we're about to leave the EU, supposedly. But Boris Johnson, because of the Ben Act, cannot supposedly leave without asking for an extension. Yes, he is bound to ask for an extension if he has, hasn't got a deal by the 19th of October and there seems to be no sign of an agreement between the EU and the UK. There's um, further discussion today between Boris Johnson and Leo Varadkar but the signs are that there's not going to be any agreement. I think most people think that the two leaders are, are meeting really to keep up with the pretense that they are trying to, to do something and also to then avoid each of them being blamed for a no-deal situation. But the issue will be then, what is Boris Johnson going to do during his leadership bid? He said that he would take the UK out of the EU um, come what may, do or die, by the end of October. So it'll be a major climb down for him if we are still in the EU after the end of this month. And he is compelled by the the Ben Act to seek an extension, although, again, he said um, he would rather be dead in a ditch than ask for an extension. So there's a lot of uncertainties about what is going to be happening over the next few, well, next two two weeks, really. But do you think we're going to see an extension? Personally, I do think we are going to see an extension. I'm not sure how that's going to come about, whether Boris Johnson is himself going to actually write that letter asking for an extension or um, whether there will maybe be a vote of no confidence um, in Parliament and could see somebody else write that letter, whether it's Jeremy Corbyn as leader as a caretaker PM or whether there'd be somebody else, you know, Kenneth Clark or Harriet Harman could come, could come in or whether Boris Johnson just does actually agree to write the letter. There is also this other issue about what extension would be given under the Ben Act um, the extension would be until the end of January but 
uh, in the past the EU have given extension um, longer than the, the Prime Minister has actually wanted. So there's been some suggestions that the extension might be until maybe the summertime and also that it might come with conditions, for example, to have a general election or to have a second EU referendum. Hmm. Um, will we get a Brexit deal by Halloween? Will we go for an extension? Do you have a dice? Can I roll it? <laughs> um, everything is is very very it's a movable situation, and I I would like to think that we would get clarity very soon. It's something that, that we're all looking for, um, and and mm. Brexit, you know, it reverberates through every part of our society, through every part of our of our life, um, you know. Business needs to know, services need to know, and individuals need to know as well to go about about their lives and make their plans. Um, I think it's a, it's an incredible failure. Failure. Ugh, try again. An incredible failure of government that we've got into this position. Um, and I think that um, quite often we're told that Brexit is divisive, and, and yes, it was a yes, no, leave, remain question. So it's easy to say that, but. I think that a lot of the dissatisfaction around the Brexit process is is actually around um, our parliamentary system and it's a failure of our parliamentary system that we've gotten to this position. Come back to that, on the, the extension issue, I, I do think there will be an extension because nobody, both sides, EU, UK, don't actually want a no deal because of the disastrous um, consequences that that would bring on both sides but I think on the one of the some of the wider issues is that um, each of the EU countries has to agree an extension and I think they will do that because they have done that in the past and again they don't want the disruption of a, a no deal situation on their economies but at the same time I think there's a growing dissatisfaction among voters in Europe towards the UK. I think there was a poll um, in Germany that 66% of Germans actually don't want an extension at all. Um, and I think it's something like 50% of French voters don't want an extension beyond um, October the 31st. So I think there there will be an extension for now, but I can't see it lasting much longer than next summer. I think um, European voters will just begin to turn on their own governments. Hmm. Okay. As always, we'll see what happens. But that wraps up for the Brexit section because I don't want to talk about this for too much because I feel like in this podcast, sometimes Brexit can take up a big chunk of time and we're basically saying the same stuff every week because of how little things actually change. But an extension will, of course, be the big story if and when it happens. Let's bring it back a little bit closer to home. Namely, this weekend, we have the SNP conference coming up and, of course, something that's caught or at least is, is, is leading on our website at the moment, is this idea of um, a plan B for independence, which is essentially being brought forward by the SNP's Chris McElhinney, who is proposing a motion that if the SNP functionally return a pro-independence majority at the next general election, that is enough to start negotiating for independence. And originally this motion was essentially shot down by the membership. It was voted as low priority, it was low enough that it wasn't going to be debated at conference. But now, Chris McElhinney is putting forward a plan where he's going to essentially try and... not hijack, but uh, interrupt the opening of the conference. So let's talk about that. How is he going to do that? Yeah, 
Well, normally at SNP conference, uh, delegates vote on the agenda. It always happens. Normally it's a, a routine matter and um, it passes uh, by, by claim. And, um, but I think this particular time, as I understand it, um, some SNP members are going to actually object to the agenda and Chris McElhinney will put down an amendment saying that he will approve the agenda. He's in favour of, of approving the agenda, but only so long as the Plan B um, re- motion gets accepted. So it'll be an interesting start to the SNP conference. It could be quite lively. It'll be interesting to see whether it will go to a vote or, uh, and if it does go to a vote, will the plan be fi- be finally accepted or whether it, it won't be. But, Christine, do you not think, right, that given that this motion was essentially already voted on whether or not it should be debated at conference by SNP members, pushed right down to the bottom where it wasn't going to happen, that a lot of people are just going to be kind of like give it a rest when he tries to bring it forward even though in theory everyone's already had a say in whether or not they want to have this conversation I think that conference rules exist for a purpose and I think that um, if if Chris McLeary, Angus McNeil that any you know anyone else who's involved in this um, want to use those conference rules uh, in accordance with how they were written um, then you know that that opportunity is there. I don't think it can really be criticised. Um, I think that um, th- it's 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 an issue, isn't it? You know w- what will happen with NDF two? Will there be an NDF two? How will there be an NDF two? Is Boris Johnson really likely to say, "Go ahead, have your have your permission"? Mm. There you go. Go ahead and yeah. do it. I I agree. Actually, I think that is um, an issue that's really um, you know exercising a lot of people's minds in the, at the moment because there's absolutely no way on earth Boris Johnson is going to agree and it's a Section 30 order. I actually think that even if support for independence was um, and support for NDREF2 was at you know 90%, Boris Johnson would not agree to a Section 30 order because that sort of politician he is. He doesn't really play by the normal rules. So I think it's perfectly de- legitimate for um, SNP members and, and YES supporters to to ask the question, well, if we don't get a Section 30 order, is there a second route to independent? Is there some other way we can seize the initiative and um, and and make independence happen? happen? Nicola Surgeon does want to stick to the process in 2014 of saying we have to go along with uh, uh, the terms um, of an agreement between the UK government and Scottish government Um, but it doesn't look like one is going to happen um, in the near near future. But okay, but that's exactly it, right? We don't have an idea of how we're going to get from here to holding another independence referendum, right? And like you say, Boris Johnson isn't going to give a Section 30 order but at the same time the criticisms of this approach to independence is that it would probably put us put us at odds with a lot of European nations who wouldn't necessarily recognise our claim to independence if we go about it that way. Well, that's exactly the First Minister's point. She points to the Catalonia referendum and Sarah, and Sarah has said at the Book Festival in August that her job is not simply to win an independence referendum, it's to win independence. So 
she's suggesting there's no point in winning a referendum and then we can't make Scotland independent. So therefore we should go the process should follow the tried and trusted um, you know, events of what happened in 2014 and have a legitimate legally binding referendum which will be recognised by the UK government and by EU nations as well. Okay, we're about to move on from this section but very last point then could this be the end of this push for plan B? Like if this comes up at conference and to be honest but I personally think if it does it will not pass Will that be the end of it? I, 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 it may be the end of this push, but I don't think it will be the end of the idea. I think there will, will still be, and let's face it, there have been for a number of years people who have said, look, let's take a different route to independence. I think those voices are still going to exist. I think there's there's a place to have these conversations and try and figure out what the route forward is. But, you know, it's it's absolutely in no one's best interest to, to end up with uh, duplicating that situation in Catalonia. No one would, would wish that on Scotland. Okay, right. On to the last topic of our podcast this week. Um, it was only a few days ago, but it certainly seems like longer ago now because it's been the week that it has been. That's essentially Ruth Davidson saying that she will, as far as she knows, not stand to run as a politician again in the future, that she's going to see out her term and that will be the end of it. Now, obviously, that's open to her changing her mind, which, you know, isn't exactly off-brand for Ruth Davidson. But how do we get to this point where the Conservatives have gone from having a figure who was so, in their eyes, popular that she dominated all of their leafleting, all of their marketing, basically becoming almost like a joke of like the Ruth Davidson party because often candidates in certain areas won't even appear on their own leaflets, just Ruth's face. Get to this point now where not only is she no longer leader of the party, she's also bowing out completely. I think I think I mean you're you're right. Ruth, Ruth was um, a, a very popular uh, Scottish Conservative leader, but remember that she did follow Annabel Goldie, who was incredibly popular as well. It didn't mean that she would get everyone's votes, but she was still a popular figure uh, amongst parliamentarians and amongst the public as well. I think. Um, will Will Ruth give up politics altogether? I don't think I don't think that she will. She's saying that she won't. She probably won't stand again. But she is saying that if there is a second independence referendum, she'd certainly be open to uh, considering um, a position in uh, any kind of future iteration of Better Together. I think that would still probably make her a, a politician. I'm not sure. But one, I think. I mean, I would love to see that happen because it would be so easy to argue the cases like that you are saying we should stay in a union under a government that was so poisonous <laughs> you left your position she, she's undermined herself entirely if she does go for a position on like that in the future uh, yeah that'll, that'll be interesting one um, I, I think she probably couldn't really work with Boris Johnson she was very opposed to his views on Brexit his views on a, on a no deal Brexit and um, I think that it'll be interesting to see who does succeed her as as Conservative leader, will Jackson Carlow remain in post? He's going to remain in post as interim leader for the foreseeable future. I think they've pushed back on the idea of having an early leadership contest. Um, but um, whether he will continue in that position as a as leader and as a permanent leader remains to be seen. Mm. Who do you think's got a shot, Christine? Oh, don't make me guess this one. I personally think that Jackson Carlow is probably going to be leader for 
the longer term. Um, Murder Fraser was another front runner, but Murder Fraser has this um, idea of having a separate Scottish Conservative Party, more autonomous from the UK, but I think there's been a lot of um, opposition to that within the Tory ranks, and I can't see that being a gore. Mm. Because again, hard to argue for unionism when... When the parties <laughs> can't keep the party together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, personally, I would love to see... Um, Jesus, name's getting out of my head. You know the one that thought he'd order drugs on an app? Instagrams? Ross Thompson. Ross Thompson. He'd be a laugh as the, <laughs> the Tory party leader. That would be... Um, that's not a, not a name I think I've seen so far, actually. I haven't seen that name either, but he is a very close ally to Boris Johnson, it must yes. be said. He is, to the point where a few people speculated he might be given the Secretary of State um, for Scotland position because yeah. of that. I think he was probably quite surprised that it didn't come his way, to be honest. Yeah, that's that's politics, isn't it? That is. And I guess that wraps up our show as well. So thank you very much for both of you for coming on and having a chat with me today. Uh, we will be back again next week with everything that happens over the next week. So we'll be rounding up, no doubt, what happened at the SNP conference, as well as we'll probably have a better idea whether or not there will be an extension to Brexit by then. Hopefully. Uh, but until then, thank you very much. Please do leave a comment down below of what you thought of the show, and we'll see you all again then. Mm-hmm.